Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning all over Gwinnett Church. I hear that there are people just like hiding in closets and stuff with TVs and stuff. So it's, it's amazing. We're so glad that you guys are with us. Uh, happy Easter. My name is Reed and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And we are so glad that you have chosen to spend Easter uh, Sunday here with us. We have been looking forward to celebrating Easter with you all uh, for some time now. This week, we've been getting geared up for it. I'm excited. I know around my house, my kids have been excited. The other night, um, my, my wife and I, we were putting our kids to bed and, you know, bedtime is like divide and conquer in our house. We got three kiddos, so we're just playing zone defense. And so, um, and so we, were, we were putting the, the kids to bed and I was, uh, I have my youngest, he's uh, three and his name is Landon. And, uh, and so we did, you know, the normal bedtime routine that we do at our house. We did a little, you know, pick a book and he, you know, we read a book. He doesn't read, he's three, but yeah, that would be awesome. He'd be a genius. And so, um, but, but, uh, uh, I'm, I'm reading to him. We read a little story. And, um, and after the story, I thought I'd ask him, you know, hey, Landon, are you excited to celebrate Easter this weekend? And he was like, yes! Because um, that's how he does everything, right? Uh, my three-year-old is uh, exuberant about life. Like, he's just an excited dude. So he's like, yes, right? And I was like, awesome, man. And then I thought, okay, I'm gonna ask him another question. I was like, hey, hey, hey Landon, what do we celebrate at Easter, and he goes, Easter eggs! And I was like, no, no. It was cute, you know what I mean? I was like, but no, right? And so I was like, all right, yeah, like retry. I was like, hey, like, like for real, come on, buddy, you know this. I'm like hyping him up now, I'm gassing him up. You got it, bro, come on. And I was like, you got it, you know this. What do we celebrate at Easter? And he was like, oh, I know. And I was like, yes, you know, and uh, he goes, candy. And I was like, no, right? Like, goodness grace, get off of the eggs, right? Like, I was like, all right, all right. So now at this point, right, this is just a point of pride for me. I'm like, I'm a pastor and I'm good at my job. And so I was like, he's gonna say something spiritual. And so I was like, all right, Landon, one more time. Let's try this again. I go, what do we celebrate, buddy, at Easter? And I, I did the thing as parents where you try to cue it up for him. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like I can hit a home run. I was like, I was like, come on, buddy. I'm going to tee you up for this, right? And I'm giving him the J sound. And, and he goes, oh, jelly beans. And I was like, no, no. And at that point, you guys, I questioned my abilities as a parent and a pastor and thought, I don't even know if I need to preach this weekend, right? So, but... I was like, man, Landon, Jesus, Jesus, right? Like today on Easter Sunday, we gather along with almost 2 billion other believers uh, and we celebrate today Jesus. And very specifically, right? Not just Jesus, but we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead which is a bold claim, right? And this historical event, which if true, it has the power and the potential uh, to, to change our lives and to affect right, us here and now, but also in life beyond this life. And so this is a big, big deal, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, if it's true. So this morning, 
Because of the magnitude of these claims, I just wanted us in our brief time together, Brooklyn already gave us a time constraint. She said an hour and five minutes, so you guys are off the hook. I can only go that long, right? And so, um, but, but for our time together, what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at three questions around the resurrection. Three questions around the resurrection of Jesus. And it's my hope today that as we investigate these three questions, you guys, that you'll come to see why the resurrection of Jesus is something worth considering, why it's something worth investigating, why it's something worth believing, why it's something worth embracing, and yes, why it's something worth celebrating. So three questions this morning that we got. First question is this. Why is the resurrection important? So the first question we're gonna ask is why is, the, why, why is it a big deal for our faith? Why would 2 billion people gather to celebrate this? Like why is it a big deal in the Christian faith? Why, why is the resurrection of Jesus a big deal? Uh, the second is why do Christians believe it? Right? So not just why is it important, but why do Christians believe? I mean, we're modern people. We've got science and all of our sophistication and smartphones in our hands. And so how could we really be expected to believe in the literal resurrection of somebody from the dead, right? Like why, why, why do Christians believe it? And then what difference does it make? What difference does the resurrection of, of some religious leader 2,000 years ago have in my life? What difference does it make in my life right here and right now in 2023? Does it even make a difference? So three questions. Why is the resurrection important? Why do Christians believe it? And what difference does it make in my life today? These are the questions that we're going to examine and so this morning, we'll just go ahead and jump right in to the first question, uh, which is, why is the resurrection of Jesus important, right? And in order to help us answer this, what I want to do is I want to take you over uh, to a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, where the apostle Paul is writing to a group of people and they are wrestling with this very question of the importance of the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There was uh, this church that had started and there was some debate amongst the believers on the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There were some people that were struggling to believe that Jesus Jesus actually rose from the dead. They were kind of perpetuating this idea that maybe he had just roamed spiritually, like he was just like alive in our hearts, but like he hadn't actually really rose from the dead. And, and so the apostle Paul writes to them, right? Which is good news this morning too, by the way, if you came in here today and you've got doubts and, you, and you've got questions, and if you find in yourself some of this stuff difficult to believe, I hope you know that, that you're not alone that you're in good company, that even in the earliest days, even in the earliest days of, of the church, people were still trying to wrestle with these claims and what to believe about it. And so your doubt doesn't count you out. We're so glad that you're here and, 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 and wrestling with some of these questions. I wanna encourage you to keep investigating and keep wrestling. But the apostle Paul writes to these people that are wrestling in their faith and they're wrestling with what to do with the resurrection and he talks to them about the importance of why we ought to believe and why it's, it's crucial for our faith and our lives to believe in the actual resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is what the apostle Paul says. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12, he says, but if it is preached 
that Christ has been raised from the uh, that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, he says, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The Apostle Paul is writing to these people and he goes, hey y'all, this resurrection thing, this is a really, really big deal. This is like mission critical when it comes to our faith. This is foundational for our faith. This is central to everything that we believe. He goes, listen, this is, this is really, really important, right? Because without this, without Jesus's resurrection, he goes, then everything we believe doesn't matter. You can throw it all out. There's no point. Look at the implications that he just said in that passage. The implications in the passage, he says, look, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, he said, if there's no resurrection, he says, then Jesus is still dead. And he's just another dead religious leader. He goes, look, if, if there's no resurrection, he says, not only that, he says, our preaching is useless, which some of you were like, you said it, bro. <laughs> yeah, like, he goes, look, if, 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 if Jesus is, is still in the grave, if there's no resurrection, then all that preaching about the promises of God and the plans and the purposes that he has for your life and the hope of heaven one day, he goes, all of that, it's whatever. It doesn't even matter. It's useless. He says that not only that, not only is our preaching useless, but he goes, your faith is useless. You're trusting in God, your obedience to God, you're applying his teachings in your life, all of that, you're... Your, your trust in his promises and your belief that he's got a plan in the future for you, he goes, all of that doesn't matter. Useless if Jesus isn't resurrected. He goes, not only that, he says, if Jesus isn't resurrected, he said, then we're still in our sins. He goes, hey, all the sin and the shame and the guilt that we have, the condemnation over our lives for the things that we have said and done and thought, that hurt others and break the heart of God, he goes, all of that, we're still in that. There is no forgiveness of sin, no way for us to reconcile our relationship with God. If there's no resurrection, then we're left to continue to strive and to try as we might in our own power and effort to try to do enough good things to outweigh the bad, which you guys know this, we never could. So the apostle Paul says, though, if there's no resurrection, then we're still in our sins. And then he says, if there's, if there's no resurrection, not only are we still stuck in our sins, but then he says, then the dead are lost. 
He said, if there's no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, he says, then this life is all there is and death is the end. And all that talk at funerals and at gravesides is just mere sentimentality that we give to one another in order to make ourselves feel better and to help us sleep at night, but it's all a load of baloney. He says, it doesn't matter. It's lies if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He says, so guys, this is a really, really big deal. It's foundational to our faith. Uh, I read something that another author said. I love the way he put it. He said, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, he said, there is no savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, no hope of resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man and therefore is of no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. He said, plainly stated, without the resurrection of Jesus, a few billion people today who worship Jesus as God are gullible. Their hope for a resurrection life after this life is the hope of silly fools who trust in a dead man to give them life. Subsequently, the doctrine of Jesus' resurrection is, without question, profoundly significant and worthy of the most careful consideration and examination. Why is it important? Because this is, this is everything that we believe hangs on it, is hinged on it. It's foundational for our faith. The importance of the resurrection is mission critical. He says, if this didn't happen, then nothing that we believe matters and we should all just go home. He says, but if it did happen, it changes everything, which is why um, I love what Paul writes next, right? He lays out the case for the importance of the resurrection. And then he says, he says, but... But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, look, look, if there's no resurrection, then none of this matters. But here's the good news is he has indeed raised from the dead. And then he has this funny little statement where he says, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that sounds like weird language. Don't get tripped up on that terminology because it's not something that we use a lot. Basically what Paul's saying is when he says that Jesus was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, what he means is that when it comes to resurrected life, Jesus went first and by faith we get to follow. That's, that's what he means when he says that he was the first fruits. Jesus went first and by faith we get to follow. And we will follow him into resurrected life spiritually, soon, and physically later. So the apostle Paul says, hey, look, if, if it didn't happen, if the resurrection didn't happen, it doesn't matter, but it did happen. Which brings us to the second question that I told you we were gonna talk about. Why do Christians believe that? Like, why, why do we believe that, right? Like, if it, if it really happened, why, why? Why do we believe that? Or how do we have confidence in that? It's a good question. It's a fair question, right? Because not everybody does believe that. 
Not everybody believes in the actual resurrection of Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of academics and scholars that have come up with theories because no matter what you believe about the resurrection, you have to have some kind of explanation for what happened in the first century that exploded the Christian movement. And so there are lots of other theories to try to explain what happened around the time of Jesus's resurrection. And I'll, I'll share a few of those with you this morning. I'll share with you some of the explanations that people have made that uh, to try to to try to skirt around the resurrection and explain what happened in first century Israel. There's, there's the theory um, that some people hold to that's called the swoon theory. The swoon theory is the idea that Jesus, uh, that he didn't actually die on the cross. That while he was on the cross, like from blood loss and from the pain that he just passed out. And then the Romans, who, by the way, were very, very good and thorough at killing people, but they were tricked by Jesus's pain coma. And so they took him off of the cross and they threw him in the grave. And then Jesus, after a few hours nap, right, like that he was laying there in the dark and that he woke up. And even after being beaten within an inch of his life, being crucified, hung up for hours, and then being stabbed with a spear that Jesus got up and then he fumbled his way through the dark, and then somehow from the inside rolled the tomb away, or rolled the stone away from in front of his tomb, which you guys, if you've never seen one of these, the, the, the entrance is only about to my chest and I'm short. And so it's like a little, little entrance. So Jesus would have probably had to have crawled on his hands and his knees and then rolled the, the stone away with his hands from the inside. There's no handles and it would have been pinned shut, which would be the equivalent of you trying to open like a sliding glass door with just your hands, not using the handle and it's locked. So you're like, Ee! You know what I mean? Like, and so Jesus somehow gets himself up and, and because he's been doing CrossFit. And so like, then he gets up there and he slides the stone away somehow, right? And then he sneaks past the guards, makes his way to, to his friends and convinces them that now he's back, right? That's the swoon theory. And if you can tell from some of my sarcasm, I don't buy it, right? And so, um, but that is a theory, that's a theory that's been around for a while, the swoon theory. Then there's the, there's the, the popular stolen body theory. This, this is one that's been around since the first century. As a matter of fact, um, at the time that the rumors of Jesus's resurrection were making its way through Jerusalem, uh, this is what the Jewish religious leaders told their followers to, to tell people, and they told their followers to then go and tell people, um, which was that the disciples had actually snuck in and stole Jesus's body, and now we're claiming a resurrection. So the stolen body theory goes that the disciples who were uh, afraid and scattered at some point in the evening on Saturday, they got the courage, they mustered up the courage and they went back to the tomb in the night and they either snuck past the guards or they paid the guards off and, uh, and, and then they rolled the stone away and they got in there, they got Jesus's body out and they either hid or disposed of the body and then began to preach in the very same place where Jesus was killed, they began to preach that Jesus was alive. Now, my, I'll put my cards on the table. My struggle with the stolen body theory is that if, if, there's, if the disciples stole the body, then that would mean, that would make some of the things that happen afterwards really, really nefarious. Because that would mean, right? Because after 
The disciples begin preaching the resurrection of Jesus. They take that message all over uh, the known world. They begin to take it out there at risk of death. 10 out of the 12 are arrested, tortured, and then murdered for their stubborn insistence that they had seen a resurrected Jesus. And if the disciples were the one that stole the body, that would mean that they allowed themselves to be arrested, tortured, and murdered for a lie that they knowingly made up. Now listen, people die believing lies all the time. I'm not claiming that that doesn't happen. People die believing lies all the time. The difference is they don't believe it's a lie when they die, right? So people die believing lies all the time. But this would mean that these guys made this lie up, they knew about it, and then at the point of torture and death, continued to hold on to the lie. It's hard for me to, to swallow that. But that's another theory, the stolen body theory. Then uh, there's, there's another theory, it's uh, the body double theory right? I call this one the prestige theory, right? If you've seen the movie, The Prestige, right? Where the, the two magicians, the stage music magicians, they, uh, they're trying to copy each other's tricks and outdo each other. And one of them has the trick where he can disappear and pop up on the other side of the stage and the other magician can't figure out how he's doing it. Come to find out at the end. And if this is a spoiler for you, get with it. It's been out for like 15 years. I'll also spoil the Titanic for you. It sunk. And so in the prestige, right? Like they find out at the end of the movie that the way this guy could do the trick is that he actually had a twin the whole time and they've been living the same life. And the body double theory goes like this. And this is an actual theory that some scholars like believe and perpetuate that Jesus either had a body double or he had a twin. And then that person was the one that got killed. And then after they were killed, they took that body and then Jesus popped out and was like, ha ha, you know, like, and so there, that's, a, that's a, a theory, the body double theory. Then there's, there's also the uh, hallucination theory. The hallucination theory. And the hallucination theory goes like this, that the, the, the disciples upon Jesus's death, they were in such great distress and grief, which would make sense. They were in such distress and grief that, that upon his death, and burial that they, that they just imagined. They just imagined it, they hallucinated. They thought that they saw Jesus and they were genuine in their, in their belief that they had seen Jesus, but it was just a hallucination. And, and we know you guys, the, to add some credibility to this, we do know that in grief, grief does some crazy things to our minds, doesn't it? If you've ever lost somebody, if you've ever experienced great grief, Distress, it can do some stuff with your mind. And so maybe my issue with the, with the hallucination theory is this though, that, that if at the time that the disciples were imagining that they were seeing Jesus, if the Jewish leaders at the time or if the Roman government at the time wanted to shut those rumors down, all they needed to do was to produce a body. If while the disciples were imagining, no, we saw Jesus and they brought out Jesus's dead body at the time, they would've been like, nah, right? And yet, and yet, an empty tomb left them with nothing, no evidence to display, to refute 
the claims and the rumors of Jesus' resurrection. But that's the hallucination theory. And then there's the last theory that I'll share with you guys this morning. It's not the last one out there. I'm sure there's more. You've got Google. And so, um, but the last one that I'll share with you this morning is called the first century worldview theory, right? First century worldview theory, which I love. C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery. Um, First century worldview theory says, hey, these were ancient people and we all know ancient people were superstitious and weird and they believed in fairies and stuff like that. And so, you know, there's like, we're obviously, we're modern people, we're sophisticated, you know, we've got, we've got cell phones and, and we're so smart. And so, um, so we know better. And C.S. Lewis says, hey, be careful. Every generation thinks that it knows more than the previous generation. And he says, be careful of thinking because you know more about something that you know more about everything. At the time of Jesus's crucifixion and subsequent resurrection claims, just so you know, the first century Jewish people, at least half of the people that were practicing Jews did not believe in any sort of bodily resurrection or even in afterlife. They thought that this life was all there was. And so the idea that somehow these were just superstitious people that believed in that kind of stuff uh, is actually not true. But there is, there's the first century worldview theory, right? So these are some theories as to what happened to try to explain around the resurrection. So the question again, why do Christians believe it? In the face of a lot of other arguments against it, why do Christians believe it? The reason why Christians believe it, you guys, is we think that there is compelling evidence to believe it. And the Apostle Paul actually in this passage, um, in in this chapter of scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, he actually shares with us some of the most compelling evidence that Christians have uh, to believe the resurrection of Jesus. I'll show you what uh, he says. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, going back up into verse three. This is what Paul says. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. So Paul says, hey, here's the message that I'm passing on to you, right? That Jesus actually, he lived and he died and he actually was buried and then he actually raised from the dead. And the reason why you can believe that, look, he's gonna say on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. And then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born, meaning like I can't even believe I got to see Jesus. The reason why Christians believe this, the reason why the apostle Paul says we can have confidence in believing in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Apostle Paul says, hey, you can believe this message in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. He goes, because we've seen it, because we saw it. He's like, first Peter saw it. Peter, one of Jesus's best friends who denied him 
when he was arrested, who ran away when he was crucified, who gave up on his faith when Jesus was buried, that Peter, he says, that one, he saw him. He goes, that's why he's boldly leading the church right now. At the time of Paul writing this, Peter was boldly leading the movement of the church, was taking the message all over the place and was risking his life for the message. And it's not because Peter all of a sudden sitting in his fishing boat realized that the teachings of Jesus were just too good to give up on. The reason why Paul says that Peter returned to his faith is because he had breakfast on the beach with a resurrected Jesus. He says, you can believe this. I'm telling you, Peter saw him and he ate with him because it wasn't just Peter. He said the other 12 saw him as well. His other friends, they saw him as well. Guys like Matthew and guys like John and they've written about it. They actually wrote it down. They've written about it and you can read about it. Those guys, they saw him. Thomas saw him and put his hands into his wounds on his hands. He's like, they, they saw him. His friends, they saw him. You can believe it because the, the, the 12, the disciples, they, they saw him risen. But it wasn't just his friends. It wasn't just his friends. It was also other followers. Other followers, they saw him too. Paul says, Paul says that, hey, like 500 other people saw him too, right? Like it wasn't just his buddies that are all like, making this up. He's like, no, 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 like 500 other people. Jesus didn't do this in secret. He didn't do this in silence. He didn't do this in some like hidden cave or hidden temple or some mountain out in the woods. No, he showed up and like 500 other people have seen him. And I love, he points it out. He goes, some of them are still alive. It's like, he's going like, go ask them. If you want to go make the visit and go ask. There are a lot of people that could tell you about it. So he says like, 500 other people, but it wasn't just, listen, it wasn't just his friends and it wasn't just other followers and fans of his that, that claimed to have seen him. It's also his family. The Apostle Paul says, yeah, it wasn't just us. It was, it was James. James saw him. You know who James is? James is Jesus's brother. Paul says, James saw him and now worships him as God and calls him Lord. Andy says this all the time, but imagine what it would take, those of you with siblings, for you to, exactly, you're laughing already. Imagine what it would take for you to believe that your sibling was God, right? No, I have a brother and I love my brother. Trad's amazing, right? He's so awesome. But we've seen each other at our worst. He stabbed me in the neck with a pencil one time because I scared him while we were doing homework. I was like, ah, there's a bam, and got me. He would have to do something significant, right? For me to be like, yep, you're God. You know what I mean? Like, it's incredible. And the apostle Paul goes, look, it's not just his friends that are delusional. No, 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 his friends saw him. His followers have seen him. He goes, his family has seen him. James, his brother saw him and it turned his whole life around. He now follows him. It wasn't even just them though. It wasn't just his friends. It wasn't just his family. It wasn't just his followers that saw him. He goes, it was also his enemies. You go, where are his enemies in that passage? Paul says, I saw him. And this is so compelling, you guys, when you think about it. Because if you know Paul's story, what you know is that Paul began as a Christian hater. 
He actually made it his life's mission to stop, to shut down the movement of Christianity. As a matter of fact, he went so far as to oversee the execution of believers. That's how zealous he was for this mission. And yet somewhere along the way, something happens to Paul where he goes from Christ hater to Christ follower and church planter to the point where he is later arrested and then killed for his faith and his stubborn insistence in a resurrected Jesus. And you go, what happened? And Paul would say, I saw him. I saw him. And you can't go back from that. I couldn't continue to persecute the church. I had to build it because I saw him and I can't explain it, but I can't deny it. It turned my life around. So why do Christians believe it? Why do we believe in the resurrection? We believe in it because of the eyewitness testimonies of people his friends, his followers, his family, and even his enemies who claim to have seen him, touched him, ate meals with him, and they go, we saw it. And that's compelling evidence. And that's why we believe in a resurrected Jesus. And now the question we'll end with, what difference does it make? Like what, what difference does this make? Okay, so, so what? What difference does the resurrection uh, of, of a 2000 year old rabbi mean for me today in 2023 in my life, in my situation right here in Gwinnett County, Georgia? What difference does it make? The Apostle Paul would say all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. As a matter of fact, if you go back, you go back to the passage, you just reverse engineer what we started with. Paul says, look, if he didn't rise, then none of this matters. But he says he is indeed risen. So you could go back to this passage and all the things that he says wouldn't happen if Jesus didn't rise. We can then take it to mean that they do happen because he is alive, right? And so you can look at this right here. He says, he says if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is meaningless. It's futile. But if Jesus is alive, you guys, then your faith is meaningful, it matters. Your faith matters. Your trust in God, your belief in God, it matters. Your prayers offered up to God, they matter. Your trust in his promises, your belief in, in, his, in his word over you that he's created you on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, the fact that your life has meaning, right? He goes, all of that, it matters. It's, it means something. Your application of his teachings in your, in your life your generosity, your kindness, your love, your forgiveness, your service, your sacrifice. He goes, none of it's in vain. It matters. It's meaningful if he's risen. If he's risen, not only that, right? Not only is, is your faith meaningful, but you're not in your sins. We're not stuck in our sins. If Jesus is risen, you guys, then, then that means that God has provided a means of forgiveness for sin. He's provided a solution to our sin and to our shame and to our condemnation and to our guilt. He's provided a solution and the solution is Jesus. And so now forgiveness is available. 
by grace through faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven, you can be redeemed, you can be restored to a relationship with your heavenly father. And you don't have to carry guilt, shame, or regret anymore. If he's alive, if he's risen, if it's real, then forgiveness is on the table and you're not stuck in your sins. And then lastly, he says, if he's alive, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're not lost. They're not lost. He says, no, 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 no. He says, death is not the end. If Jesus is alive, then death is not the end. And you can be confident in knowing that by faith in him, you will see Jesus face to face. And not only that, this is an amazing hope and an amazing promise. You can be confident that you will see those that you love who went to be with Jesus before you. It means one day, my mom's gonna see her little sister again. It means one day, you'll see your parents again. It means one day, you'll see your child again. If he's alive, if he's alive, it makes all the difference in the world. And we have all the reason for hope. What difference does it make? Oh, because he lives, you guys. It makes all the difference in the world. Because he lives, as we sang earlier, because he lives, oh man, we can know the love of God today. Because he lives, we can walk in a relationship with God today. Because he lives, we can know forgiveness, we can know freedom. Because he lives, we can have hope, we can have a life that's full of hope and peace and joy and faith. It's full of God's Holy Spirit. You can have that today. Because he lives, you're not stuck in your sin. Because he lives, you can be confident that there's more to life than just this life, that death doesn't have the final say in your story. Because he lives, you can be confident you will see your Savior face to face by faith in him, and you will see those who have gone to be with him before you. This is the hope that we have because he lives. So, one last question. I didn't tell you I was gonna ask you this. Last question is this, what are we gonna do with it? What will you do with it? I can't decide this for you. What will you do with the resurrection of Jesus? You've heard its importance. You've heard why Christians believe it. You've heard the difference that it could potentially make in your life if you would, by faith, receive it. So what are you gonna do with it? You gotta wrestle with that. The claims are too big for you to simply dismiss it or reject it idly. You need to wrestle with it. You need to contemplate it. And then you need to decide for yourself what you're gonna do with the resurrection of Jesus. Man, with this quote from Philip Yancey, I love this like it's an appropriate way to end our time together. He says, in many respects, I would find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. He says, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. Don't you love that? I love it. And I believe it, you guys. I believe that Jesus is alive and he is loose in our world today. 
and he wants a relationship with you. And because he lives, you, you can accept him, you can receive him, you can walk with him and you can know him and you can experience his love and his grace even today. All you gotta do by faith is open up your heart and open up your life to him and he will come and he will resurrect your life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you that you kept your promise, that you would do just that. And by his resurrection, that you would prove that Jesus is who he said he is, that he has done what he said he would do, which is forgive our sins and be the first fruit of those that are risen from the dead. Thank you so much that by your grace through faith, we can experience resurrected life ourselves. And so I just pray you would help us, help us to wrestle with this, help us to seriously think about it. Would you help us to see that this is something that is worth embracing, that the resurrection of Jesus is something worth believing and that it's something worth celebrating. Would you help us? Would you open up our hearts and our minds, give us faith to receive that message, to believe it and to walk in it? We love you. We trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father's will complete. 
Say, I'll never forget. Come on, say what he's done. 